0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Martin Sibley Show. And we're back with some of the interviews that originally took place on the Daily Sib. As you know, I go live every day at 12 noon UK time onto my personal social channels. So Martin Sibley with a Martin with a Y and on my Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn and Twitch platforms. And so it's there as a live. People can watch it in the moment and anyone watching the live can put in comments and questions and thoughts, et cetera, that I'm able to see and bring up into the, the feed and uh, bounce around with, with my guest or guests. And uh, yeah, it's just been a really great thing that I've been up to for a couple of months and really cool guests. So the idea is that um, every now and then I pop a couple of them up onto the podcast. So uh, there's that audio version, not of every single one as it's um, a bit hard to keep up with five different interviews every week turning into a podcast. But yeah, just great to, to share some of them as I go forward. And so today, the, the I'm actually going to be posting two today um, from within the sort of last week or so. But there's uh, the first one today is with Phil Friend and Simon Minty almost forgot which one I was introducing there and uh yeah basically just two guys that are real role models in the disability space they've ran their own inclusion business back in the 90s been very involved in activism inclusion comedy Simon's very much particularly Simon's very much involved in comedy although they're both very funny people and uh yeah, also Phil and Simon have been a lot in the, the charity sector and just generally care a lot about disabled people and, and inclusion. So we had a having two guests on for a change with a really good time full of lots of really interesting topical discussions from their business ventures, from COVID-19, just all the bits in between. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be one that you're going to really enjoy, a lot of insights into sort of history of disability movement as well so let me know what you think as always share it with people that you think would be interested too and uh i look forward to hearing your thoughts on this episode okay we're live hello everyone hope you had a good good weekend it was a interesting weekend as we were just chatting before and uh Certainly a bit glum in terms of the weather as well, but hope you had a good, chilled and rejuvenating time. It's Monday. I'm, I'm certainly feeling buoyed up after a, an exhausted week last week. And I'm joined by uh, two, two people I've had a lot of uh, interactions with over the years as mentors and uh, being at conferences and doing similar chats to this in different formats. So first and foremost, welcome, Phil and Simon. Thank you, Martin. Good to be
1: here.
0: And I'll, I'll try and guide to, to who who to speak when. Otherwise, it's going to be the, yeah. who who was that question for? You know, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, maybe we kick off with Simon, and that doesn't you know flip a coin. But uh, Simon, if you want to go first, just give a bit of a, of a background. I, I've I've been doing it very open. Anything you care to to talk about backstory, um, but just for people that've not come across you, really, just to give that intro, would be really great
2: just in about an hour with that. Is that yeah, enough? Yeah, perfect, great. yeah. Uh In terms of me, maybe I'll jump to the, 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 in terms of the relationship. I used to work for a bank uh, and was very restless and wanted to travel uh, and explore other things. I hadn't really uh, identified or acknowledged that I was a short person. Cutting the long story short. I came across Phil Friend, he ran a business. I found something called the social model that made sense to me. And, uh, and I'd already done training courses. I'd already run lots of training courses in the bank. So I moved that across and went into business with Phil. Uh, and after about well, 10 very successful years, then we gradually realized we were interested in other things. The thing I spent more time was comedy, abnormally funny people, was a team of comedians that we set up, um, which is still going. We realized this was going to be a label of love. I set it up with a chap called Steve Best, who's a, my best friend from school, and a stand-up. Um, So, yeah, and then I still run a tiny little business where I do a bit of training consultancy. I do the hosting for BBC Ouch from time to time, which is lovely. Uh, And I've joined a couple of boards as a non-exec and a trustee, which means I'm old and responsible, apparently, maybe even wise, which scares the life out of me. I didn't think that would ever come. Um, I think that may be it. And the hardest bit is... Family and travel. I'm missing both of them at the moment.
0: Yeah, that was phenomenally good way of summarising decades of amazing work into <laughs> two minutes. Well, you should get an award for that. Um, we've got, got Michael on LinkedIn saying, hi, you three. Great
1: hey, people. Mike. Oh, hi, Mike. Yeah, good to see Mike. Yeah. yeah I, so I,
0: I love this format of bringing in... Even if it was just a little comment, it's just lovely to include the people watching with us as well. We both
2: work with Mike. uh used to be Environment Agency, and I think he's at the Alzheimer's Society now.
0: Okay. Yeah, and I,
1: I knew him when he was at, um, at Lloyd's. Lloyd, Lloyd's, Banking of board. course, yeah. 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 Yep. He, he, came, he came into the room for a, an hour to watch our PDP, Personal Development Program, and he stayed all day. <laughs> 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 Good bloke. Nice to see Mike still at it, as they say.
0: Yeah. Uh, would yeah. it help
1: to just very – I mean –
0: you're
1: Simon. next, Bill. You're next. Yeah. You're your I'll, I'll be. I'll be. I'll try and be equally. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, well, before I met Simon, before I was in the disability arena, I worked primarily as a social worker. I used to run very large institutions for very naughty boys, and I was a social worker, and I loved it, and it was great and all that stuff. And then I got made redundant, or I made myself redundant, and by pure accident got into disability work through meeting Susan Scott Parker, who was, you know, founder of the Employers Forum on Disability, Stephen Duckworth, who was around at that time as well. Set up a business, got involved, met Simon, as he says, and then we had a fantastic time together, did some really exciting things, I think. And then, as he said, we went our separate ways. Mine was more, I, I had a stroke and that kind of affected me. Um, but I went off into the kind of voluntary world. So I became chair to Radar that then was Disability Rights UK. And also um, I'm chair currently of the Research Institute for Disabled Consumers so I sort of went off into the voluntary stuff but then never lost touch with Simon always been in touch and the podcasts that we do we started doing about four years ago now amazingly four years ago um, and we are you know we're still we're mates and we and we do stuff together now in a very different way so it's, it's been a fantastic journey and like Simon very similar to the missing family and stuff, because a bit like you, Martin, you know, we haven't been out, I haven't been out, so COVID-19. Yeah. Can't wait for COVID-20, the son of COVID, you know. It's <laughs> very boring, this one.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. We've got another little comment coming in from Chris. Afternoon, everyone. Looking forward to today's Graham Norton show. <laughs> <laughs> it's if only... Funny. The Graham Norton Show of Disability. So Is that uh, the style? I mean, yeah, yeah,
2: we're all on the yeah. couch together.
0: Yeah, yeah, we are. We are. We just need <laughs> alcohol. It's a bit yeah. early when really, you on a Monday. Yeah. But... Yeah. <laughs> cool. And obviously, you have both been on my my podcast, so it's more the the audio uh, version. And there's a lot we, we got through about the you know sort of general story and involvement in disability. And I think I'd recommend anyone you know watching listening to this now. or are on the replay to check out the podcast, I thought we could just go a bit sort of deeper into certain themes today rather than just the the whole from, from then to now journey stuff. Um, obviously, you've, you've, you know, touched on the, the business side. Um, I know that sort of the stuff that Shrin and I and another guy called Toby, we've, you know, definitely tried to, to get into the value of disabled people as employees and as customers and obviously learn from what you did and, and have done and, and try and take that on and that's where I mentioned the mentoring you know it's been a lot of you have both given a lot of time and support to us I, I guess the other th- thought I had I know like Baroness Jane Campbell has got a couple of um friends and colleagues with disabilities that she's always worked closely with and also had a friendship with I, I suppose my first thought and question is you know do, do you think there's a, a big need for having that sort of career where it spans in and out with a similar group of people that are your friends as well
1: i there's no question in my mind that i've never done anything worthwhile on my own really i mean yeah. i i've always i've always really valued working with other people when i worked in childcare, i had a team of staff that were brilliant and you know so if we did things it was as a team with simon and me speaking only of course for myself i um i we we created a lot of things because we were together we had ideas because simon would say something that would generate a thought in me and vice versa so the answer to your question is yes you need people around you to to either to support you when things aren't going well that's one thing but you also need people around you to to kick ideas around with and uh, we spent quite a lot of friday afternoons dreaming up stuff that then became realities so mm-hmm. yeah simon what are you
2: i'm the same i think my the biggest benefit for me perhaps was that you're not alone there's somebody else uh also something you can trust so you can say the unsayable or you can throw something out that might be a little bit you wouldn't go public you need some sort of feedback and that where am i going with this and where does it go and not to be restricted so i've always valued that trust and that's what you do get with phil or jane campbell or the various other i'm still quite new friends i think i am with jane and maybe it's 10 years but it's not like 20 or 30. she used to scare the life out of me um because they were hardcore activists and i've never been one of them um the other bit i suppose is uh i always fear we can be a bit cliquey we can be a bit exclusive and i think people they don't necessarily put you on a pedestal but they they see you in a certain way and actually if someone writes to me i'm i'm chuffed i i want to reply uh, I, so i i worry that we can be a bit exclusive sometimes and to a certain degree you're the next generation there'll be another generation after you I want that I want it to be a bigger group that's what I'm saying I don't want us to be competitive with each other beyond making things better but I do want us to be supportive.
0: I guess it's that balance of you know a bit of competition and getting each other up to good but also you more refer to that sort of safe space of if you're having a down day or there's a bit of a problem you've got that group to, to you know share and regroup with and and all the rest of it. I mean, how how about being friends and in business? Like, did you have to be very sort of aware of the lines between friendship and business?
2: I might jump in first because I did the two separations. I did abnormally funny people with my best friend from school, and that was really difficult because he's been a comedian all his life. He's never been involved in business, and that's what I'd done. So that was a really hard learning for both of us with phil we weren't friends initially we were right. we came together as a business um and i was a supplier or a trainer and associate then i bought half the company off phil when he was gonna chuck it all in and and then we re re-launched. so we become friends after weirdly. yeah yeah
0: i've
2: always trusted him i've always respected him i've always enjoyed his company but i've actually i remember when we stopped the business And then suddenly we went to watch a football match at Wembley and I'd never been. And I was with Bill, and I'm like, Oh, this is a new section of this relationship with friends now.
1: Yeah. I, I think one thing I would say, I I, I totally agree with what Simon's just said. That's how it worked, but I couldn't work with anybody I didn't like. Mm. And I couldn't work with clients. I didn't like, I turned work down on the basis that I didn't like the person I was being contracted to work with. I don't believe it's possible, at least for me, to work really closely. This, we, the three of us know and the people watching us know disability is a very personal issue. And although we are talking about it in a very public way and encouraging businesses and others to take this very seriously, it affects us personally. And I don't think I could work with Simon if I didn't like him as well as obviously respect him and his skills and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So for me, it is about, do I like this person? If the answer is yes, there's a good chance we can do something together. may mm. not work, but it's worth a shout. So that, that would be my only difference, really.
0: Yeah, no, it's because I, I mean, I always felt, and it was probably more of a stereotype than a, an actual truth that I experienced, but I, I always had this idea that there was always these lines between work and leisure yeah and uh, and someone with um julian john was on from Delzian last week and you know he was saying that a good employer a good manager should be able to sort of say how are you how was your weekend like is there anything going on in life that's causing a trouble and not not just from some manipulative let's make them more productive make them work harder but from a, you know, we're all human, right? And I think I don't know, it'd be interesting your thought on has that culturally changed more to the human side of management or has it always been there, but it was sort of a stereotype that wasn't real.
1: Mm, here I, you go. I,
2: oh, I go, I don't mind.
1: I'm I'm trying to remember really, when we ran the business together, and now we are talking about running a business, we started off as a partnership. Yeah. We then ended up with lots of people working for us and that was when it got at trickiest because we were Simon and I are very different people we have different approaches different styles all that sort of thing luckily most of the time that worked really well in the business context where we had to manage staff so they weren't our friends they were employees mm. we expected things from them they expected things from us and and we had to find a way of doing that and there were times i think when that was tough but our friendship made it possible mm you know so even though we were falling out at times over things the basic friendship was the thing that i think for me at least kept it kept it going
2: i think uh, being more cold and hard looking at it we, we were equal i mean Fuller had run a very successful business on his own and then i came in but i owned half of it um mm. so he would get a little bit I don't know, might push this way or push that. When I go, it's equal now. We both have a say on that. And to give him his credit, he he got to it very quickly. But because we were equal, that also meant you could trust. You knew both of us had an equal interest in the success and it going well. If you're talking about the broader picture, I've just finished doing managing mental health in the time of COVID training courses. A client said, do you know anything about this? I had some stuff, put it all together together. We did 15 sessions, and it was exhausting, but it was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about things I never expected to talk about, extended bereavement leave. Mm. That was never part of my disability training. We were in a new area, and it was very much, I think managers uh, and their teams have got to be able to say, how are you and how are you feeling? I remember interviewing a director from Lloyds Bank at an event, Phil, uh, and it was two or three years ago, and he said, we started resilience training for our staff. And to be provocative, I said, well, it's gone a bit far now, is not it? Shouldn't you be teaching them about banking? Uh, (laughs) And straight away he came back and said, I don't think we've gone far enough. Mm. And the good companies know that we used to do physical. Now we do a lot of mental. If if you haven't got that well-being and that sort of contentment and that level right, it's Mm. not just productivity, but it's just about being human and being real and all that sort of stuff. So I I Mm. like that we do that. I do get a bit moody sometimes. I go, well, hold up. But don't forget, we're not social workers. We're not psychologists. Mm-hmm. We can only steer you to the right support, but you still have a responsibility to stay in touch or do whatever you've got to do. Mm-hmm.
0: Eddie, Eddie, film, I mean, yeah, businesses film, yeah. can't
1: be successful. I, I was just going to add that businesses can't be successful, in my view, unless staff are happy, unless staff feel cared about by their managers and others so there is a need to get to know people at a level which isn't just about churning the work out it is you know understanding what's going on for them in the 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 rest of and disability obviously for many disabled people as we well know they're not all visible like we are many people are carrying around all sorts of issues that they're trying to manage to the best of their ability if managers don't get that then they're missing a really important part so for me Even back when I was doing this full time all those years ago, I still recognized that you had to deal with the whole person here. You had to get to know people at a level. I don't mean be mates with them and all that sort of thing necessarily, but at least understand the life they're leading that isn't just about work. Martin, can I have one more?
2: Yeah. Uh, I I think this time is very interesting. And so organizations, some of their staff will be not working as hard because there's just the work they do, they can't do it the same. There's a whole load of people who are doing three times as much work as they've done Mm. before. And they're doing it in really strange circumstances at home. And some of them are doing it for 75% of their salary, whereas they used to do it for 100%. I think how managers and leaders manage this situation, they're expecting a lot more from people under really strange circumstances. And you've got to be immensely supportive and immensely smart because when we do come out of this, if we haven't treated people fairly or appropriately or checked in with them, I think that's going to linger. I think that will go, well, hang on, in the hard times, you expected a lot more of me. You paid me less. And so as a long way of me saying, I think it's critical to get that right now and what decisions we make right now it can be very difficult decisions to make, but we've got to remember why we're doing them and what will be the impact in six months, in 18 months.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely another thing about longer term thinker, when only look at the politics of disability, that one of the bigger issues were always within election cycles. And so the sort of investment that we as disabled people need to be more included doesn't resonate on a shorter five-year election cycle. But as you say, it's similar in business. The more long term we think, the more everybody will win. And it's... And, and maybe the positive of business is that those sort of leaders will will win. Like there will be better gains for businesses and leaders that are thinking out of the box and looking for the, the longer term. So um, I'm very keen to get onto the podcast, but just one more thing before we do. I suppose it's sort of looking at, we've already touched upon a couple of things now around sort of COVID-19, around the business climate. What One very sort of... Um, kind of snapshot thought from when you were helping businesses to be more inclusive to just prior to COVID-19. And we'll start with you, Simon. What 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 has it changed a lot? Have we progressed a lot? Are we were we still talking about things that we were 20, 30 years ago? But obviously then move that into what is COVID-19 doing for us now as well.
2: Um I, I am old, but I can't do 30 years. I can only do 20 years. So I'm yeah, going to pass that back been... <laughs> back to Phil for that one. Um, <laughs>
0: uh,
2: I, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I think there's a mixture. I think there's some very good. I don't have loads of clients, so I can't say to you of the 20 companies I work with, I don't have that. So I can only talk of maybe half a dozen who I work with. There are some who are really on this and they've got fabulous policies, procedures, They know that their staff can talk about this. When you look at those engagement scores, disabled staff, those with mental health uh, conditions are engaged and they're saying they like the company. So there is some really good stuff at the risk of broadening this out to other subjects. It's still a slow chip chip away. I don't think we've had the revolution. I don't think we've had the seismic moment where we go way, It's we felt like we had that in the sort of late 90s, early 2000s when legislation kicked in. Yeah. Um, so I still think we've got a long way to go. I have two ways of looking at it. If a client comes to me and says, I don't know what to say to a disabled person. I say to him, go and find an outfit that can do the 101 disability 101 learn the language get comfortable come back when you want to talk about something more in depth but every now and again i accept that i don't there are people who really want to do stuff they're really creative got great ideas and i'm like okay let's just get over that little hump of whatever your hesitation is and off we go so i don't know if i've answered your question i think we're better but yeah the numbers are better lots of things are better but um, still a long way to go and when I hear certain things I get really sad to think oh Mm. blimey we're still at that point
0: yeah yeah cool Phil what your thoughts on the program well
1: sadly I can go back 30 years so I (laughs) suppose but I'm not going to I, I I'd sum it up I'd sum it up in this sort of way I think When I started in disability work it was called disability awareness training and I used to go in and sheep dip companies by the thousand it was kind of and it was all about language and not knowing what to say and all that stuff and then one day a group of far more intelligent people than me suddenly said hang on a minute this is also about gender and race and all that stuff so we started talking about disability equality not just awareness then we move from that to where I guess we are a bit more now, which is inclusion, where we recognise yeah. that it's not just about being aware or treating people equally, it's about actually including people at every level. The nothing about us without us phrase back in the 80s that I remember so well is no less true now. If disabled people aren't in the room when these yeah. conversations are taking place, then we're back where we were 30 years ago. So. That has changed. I think there is a, a recognition now that disabled people are more than just an impairment. They are also people with lives and they want to live them to the full. I've got grandchildren. I want to go to the park with them. If it's not accessible, then mm. I can't do that. It's that kind of stuff? Yeah.
2: Can I just... So uh, you're
1: bursting to say something.
2: Only because, as ever, <laughs> one of us says something I and the other one, oh, I've got it. Uh, I pitched Chemistry. recently... <laughs> Equality and Human Rights Commission put out a tender for work, disability awareness training. I thought, blimey, this is the body who are using that language. Um, But I pitched because I thought this is a great piece of work. I'd love to work with the EHRC. I don't know where they're at on this now. I mean, I didn't get it. Someone else has won it. And good luck. And I hope they do a brilliant job. That that last bit
1: you said, Phil. Oh, damn it. Inclusion, disability inclusion. I have to help him all the time. (laughs)
0: More than it, impairment. That's
1: more it. Than our got, impairment. Thanks,
2: thanks, guys. Uh, I have a slight fear. I have, a, a, I have a, a real fear that we are being slightly pushed back to being called the lived experience part. Mm. And the lived experience that Phil and I had always informed what we did. Of course it did. That's the essence of it. But we also had a whole load of other skills around management, training, uh, staff, mm. uh, running a corporate, procurement, whatever you want. I'm being invited to become the lived experience person while there's someone else who isn't disabled, speaks about the organization and mm-hmm. I presume or the business. And then I go, Oh, my life when I go down the street, this happens to me. Now I've always said that, but then I've gone on and said, and I want you to change by doing this, this, and this. Yeah. But I while we may be going just to be the lived experience, we're pushed on as the oh, we have someone in the room. Mm-hmm. Susan Scott Parker works all around the world and she says we there's nothing about us without us is everywhere internationally they know without disabled people in the room they can't go any further mm. but i want to make sure that our voices is strong we're not just there to nod and go my life's difficult
1: yeah i i i, I can i add my bit to that which yeah, yeah, is yeah. that yeah thanks very much um <laughs> before i got involved in disability I, I have been disabled since i was a child I had nothing to do with disability before the 80s, nothing whatsoever. I was running an institution. I had a budget of 3 million quid. I managed 60 staff, some psychiatrists, teachers, and all sorts of. It. I was a manager. That was what I did. And I spoke about childcare at a national level to the home office and whatever else. And then I'm the person with lived experience. I really echo what Simon, I have yeah. enormous experience in all sorts of areas that people, I guess it now I, I use to, to, to inform things that I'm part of, but Oh yeah, you're the bloke in the wheelchair, aren't you? That's right. you now what, what what tire pressures do you run at? <laughs> not, you know, not, we've got a major budget crisis. What do you think we should do about it? Cause yeah. I could talk about that too, you know, and I think Simon's banking experience, all the other stuff. Very good point. I, uh, I do not want to be seen just as the disabled bloke, you know? Of course.
0: Yeah. And I mean, as mentioned already with COVID 19, mean, you've both referred to it at the beginning, how it's impacted you personally, but what how do you think it is and will impact disability rights? Just start with Phil.
1: Well, first of all, I think there are going to be some serious gains. I think we have proved beyond all reasonable doubt you don't have to be in an office to work. Yeah. So some of the stuff that Simon and I were banging on about 30 years ago was, well, 20. can we can we in your <laughs> case, <I> mean, you're <laughs> baby arms. But yeah. the idea that the idea this is what happens, you see, I never get a point because he's always corrected. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is that we we I've forgotten what my point is. I'm now. sorry.
2: What we were banging um, on about
0: homeworking and the working
1: thank you martin i'm not going to thank Simon. thank you martin no the idea that um when simon and i were doing our stock in trade stuff back in the day a reasonable adjustment could somebody please work from home on a friday afternoon for 20 minutes you know that kind of deal that's been blown out of the water the idea that we can now organize around this kind of thing i think is huge mm. the worry i have is that we will miss the point that we also need social companionship we need to be with other people and those kinds of things and I think the isolation that many many disabled people have experienced over many years shouldn't continue as an you know in a sense of as an excuse well we're working from home so that's okay do you know do you know what I mean am I making sense
0: yeah yeah I mean it's not just working like it's a double-edged sword isn't it that we could study at home, work at home, have leisure at home, like streaming the National Theatre, but it, we don't want it to be, so we don't need to make the theatre accessible because you yeah. can watch it at home. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it.
0: Simon?
2: Can I just check? I, my washing machine's going crazy in the back. Can you hear it? No, no, no. Great. No. If it becomes a problem. Yeah. Um, Uh, I'm with Phil. I think there's going to be some gains. I like the fact, particularly I was talking to a colleague, Ange, about people with chronic health conditions, which we never used to use as a phrase, but we do now. Those people who wouldn't be going into an office have fluctuating conditions. They may well be seen to be absolutely productive now because they can do stuff at home, just being a bit more flexible. Uh, We had a long chat with Joanna Wooten, who's saying, I think more people are saying they have a disability In the broadest sense, because of COVID 19, because one, maybe you're anxious about how you're going to be treated, but secondly there are some advantages in supermarkets or so that there's more of an encouragement to come forward and say this is what i have i mean it's been amazing seeing the medical profession that they've been working with each other for years and suddenly some of them said i've got diabetes i've got asthma i can't Mm. do this and you're Mm. like i never knew that so that whole concept of what is restrictive may have uh, may have changed i have a little anxiousness which is as we come out that we don't get left behind that we're not Mm. seen as well we've just got to get on with it guys and sorry that you're you can't because of whatever you got Mm. we've got to crack on now a part of me my economist hat says yeah absolutely and but the flip side of that is yeah but we need to be part of the solution and we need to be involved and i don't want us to be left behind whether that's socially
0: or
1: economically, it's I think the other,
0: about us, isn't it? Even in rebuilding an economy, it should be disabled people at the table.
1: I think one other benefit. I hope it's a benefit is the conversations that have gone on. Jane Campbell, Baroness Jane Campbell, and others talking about you know disabled lives matter. The, the idea that we're vulnerable and that kind of well, we won't give you the treatment because etc. I hope that that conversation has been in some ways, binned, because, you know, everybody's life in, in the context of COVID, should we should all expect to be treated, this, you know, as best, best possible care that's available. So I hope some of that, you know, as you know, I'm part of Not Dead Yet UK, and, and we're very watchful about medical professions, seeing mm. our lives is not worth as much as other people's and stuff. So that conversation's had an airing during COVID, which I think is helpful.
0: Yeah. You mentioned um at the beginning, I forget which one of you said about the social model. Like what what do you think the social model like, where is that standing with where we are? Is it still very the, the leading theory or is, is there a need to update it in some way? I don't know who wants to take that one, but I think probably neither I, of us. <laughs> no, I might go first because
1: I,
2: I, I think we're slightly different on this one. Um we've debated it five times on our podcast at various points. Um, the same person I mentioned, Ange, uh, says um, she wants to write a paper about why it doesn't work anymore or why it doesn't work for a whole group of people. Mm. Um, I went to Mike Oliver's memorial uh, in Kent, and this was the guy who we say gave birth to the concept. Yeah, And they said at the time, this was never about disability. The social model is about people who are marginalized from main society and then it's about looking at what are the barriers that can be removed to bring them in
0: mm-hmm.
2: now that for me is it in a nutshell and the joy of it when you get it it says oh it's not just me I can't walk very far I got pain in my legs but if I can use this and I don't get judged and I don't get stigma and people are flexible and yada yada, that will help my night- life enormously but the idea that it is a solution for everybody at every time—I mean, part of the skill of the, the beauty of the social model is it never ends. So whatever you throw at it, there'll be a tweak, and that kind of meant to solve it. But that doesn't—if I've got a heart attack, I've got a passive pain, and I need something else. So mm. I'm not quite making it. I—I I want something that supports it. I want something that takes it to another level. A bit of me is tired. I mean, Tom Shakespeare, 2007, said it doesn't work. It's not fit for purpose.
0: Hmm.
2: That's 13, 14 years ago. So why are we not either moved on, if there's something better, or why haven't we adjusted it to make it better? So a bit of me is tired, but, yeah, I, I like all, it for me. Yeah, sorry, it almost—it it sounds a little
0: bit like the the capitalism argument, that there's so much around capitalism that, doesn't really work for everybody but yet there isn't an obvious alternative to capitalism i just felt like there's a parallel there in some way but yeah phil Phil, would you like to add anything
1: well i i suppose uh, for me there was as i said a few minutes ago i didn't have anything to do with disability until the 80s really and as part of that enunciation i came across a social model and it just what I mean, everybody says it of my generation. Certainly, you know, it's a light bulb moment. Suddenly yeah. I realized mm-hmm. it, I wasn't the problem here. It, it wasn't down to me. Mm. There were some things that were down to me. But so I've I've um, I I think um, I think I basically hold with the truth that the social model is still very applicable. The problem with it is are we applying it in a 21st century way? So. Mm-hmm. Simon referred to, for example, the fact that when the social model was being talked about, we didn't talk about people with non-visible conditions and all that kind of stuff. That wasn't relevant, you know, what was relevant? It's all white blokes in wheelchairs. let's be clear. That's what it was all about. Well, those days are long gone. you know, mm. we are now looking at. Very, but the essence of it remains the same. Are you having things put in your way by mm. society, either through just thoughtlessness or mm. deliberately to exclude you? And if you are, then we have to do something about that now your impairment something else that's that's for you to kind of talk about but so for me i still think the social model and you know we've had tom on our podcast and he's very eloquent in this area and i have a lot of respect for him he doesn't say chuck it away what he's saying is it's not fit for purpose Mm. in lots of ways and i tend to agree with that but it's been liberating for me, and I know many, many other disabled people, So, I, I like you. I think, by the way, isn't an op- op- an opposite of capital? Could we not try communism? Would that not be an alternative? Uh, I don't know what the equivalent of the social model is in that context.
0: God knows. Yeah, this sounds like a slippery slope <laughs> now, so I'm going to move it on. <laughs> if you want Mark. to add some in, Simon. Say again. Did you
2: want to add something? I, I,
0: I sort of did, but I, I, I'm going to
2: pause it. <laughs> I, I, my, I suppose my just my brief bit is, Phil is right, that when we were doing that original training, we would deliberately say we are not sick. We yeah. don't have anything that is going to stop us. What's stopping it is you or the yeah. step or whatever. If you have a condition that gives you pain or limitation or fatigue or whatever it might be, when we ran a reasonable adjustment service for Lloyd's Bank, the trickiest ones were chronic fatigue syndrome because mm. we could make all the adjustments in the world, yeah, but it didn't necessarily work if someone couldn't be predictable or they and they didn't even know how to manage it themselves, so it was immensely difficult. And that's my concern how do we, how do we, but I do think COVID might have helped with that. So the people mm. who sit there working in bed and we're like, well, oh, that's madness, now we go, well, actually, quite a lot of us have been doing it, yeah.
0: so yeah.
1: Uh, interesting. I mean, in working I mean, around your condition, yeah.
0: Yeah. I was going to be one of those. We won't really know what effect COVID had for, you know, 20 or 30 years as a mm. as an approximate time span. Um, so a few things coming in. Mansell, good to see you. Hear you. Oh, hey. good to see Simon on a screen instead of... <laughs> from a taxi do i ask simon
2: <laughs> we're on the houston road what is it the a40 and i was in an uber he was in a uh, accessible black cab and i remember <laughs> just looking across we're in the traffic jam and there he was by the window I went oh man uh, we, we waved and said hello years ago i think he was just about to work for pwc and they got a bit wobbly about it and they came to us mm-hmm. and we had to unblock this thing and They were being way over the top. Um, But, but no, I I remember seeing him in the cabin. It's like, oh, my life, that's really weird.
0: (laughs) Uh, So Catherine says, hi. I think we're getting into, like, some testimonials and creds now. Mike saying, I've personally learned so much from Phil and Simon over the past two decades. Thank you for bringing them on together. Uh, Mike. Rich Thompson. Hi, all Sorry, go on, Simon. Go on, go on.
2: Mike, follow his Twitter feed. He's doing some really great stuff around race and race and ethnicity.
0: Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Um, do you know what his handle is?
2: No, but it'll be Mike Clark,
0: I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Definitely check that out. So he yeah, rich. rich. Yeah. I think uh, Phil Friend, the man that changed my mindset, legend. Um
1: was a big, big hammer. I used the big hammer. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> you, do you know what Mike's now? picked up on my faux pas to Simon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, interesting thing about a hammer for Rich, Phil, because <laughs> when you were talking about the social model, there, there was that side of it that sometimes people can become more the victim mindset because it's like, oh, the world is so full of barriers, it's not my fault, so I'm just going to be... And that's not relating to Rich's story, but it just sort of sparked that point up that... You know, sometimes we have to be—we're liberated by the social model, but we also have to have a good kick up the bum and say, "Only you can get out there and make a make your own life, but also make the change for everyone." Is that something you've come across before?
1: Oh, one of the things that Simon and I developed when we worked together was personal development programs, and and Lloyd's Banking Group, God bless them, have been doing it for years, and Rich would would have been part of that program because I, I used to run it for Lloyd's. I think the thing that you've just said, though, Martin, is really important here. There is the social construct stuff, the barriers and all of that. Yeah. But am I the biggest barrier? Is it me, actually, that's the issue here? And I think the personal development programs um, allowed us to sit in a room with disabled people and really have an, an honest conversation about, are you the barrier? Are you the one that's refusing? And... Uh, i was i was incredibly privileged to be part of that program i've loved every minute of this one of the most important parts of my life was running personal development programs because if you know it isn't you you can then go into real conversations about who the problem is yeah you know if you know it isn't you so um rich triggers that thought and and um i know simon agrees with that we've done some really interesting stuff around personal development programs
2: um to add to phil's bit uh i will go traveling working around the world and someone will find me in a lift and they'll go oh are you do you know phil friend and i go yes i do well he helped me on this thing i'm like yeah okay thanks very much time <laughs> and time again phil when he stopped doing the personal development program there were hundreds of people who wrote uh, a card to say the impact wow. that he'd had on their lives. I mean, talk about unbelievably, immensely powerful and just gorgeous. I've only done them for about five years. Phil's had a lovely point because we might not all go to segre- uh, Sorry, sort of special school. or So you don't have that hanging out with loads of people like you. Mm. And... It, we might be the problem because we've had years of hiding it or feeling a bit oppressed by it or being fearful of talking about it or managing and coping in our own little way. Suddenly you're in a room with 12 people who have all got something and mm. we don't mind talking about it. And we're very mm-hmm. open about it. And you get tears, you get um, understanding. And that's it. It's a bit like going to special school for a couple of days. You suddenly you get other people and you want to help them. And it is an immensely no i don't know what the word is but i agree with bill i've only done it for five years or so and it's you come away going, oh my goodness me how did one i don't feel responsible and good enough to do it but the flip side is when i see the changes in people
1: Mm. i think i think one of the things the personal development program reminded me of and simon's right you know i went through special schools and spent years and years in hospital and so on um Personal development program for many people is the only time they've been in a room with people who are not like them from the impairment point of view, mm. but where it is quite okay to be who you are and to talk about it in, and, and to receive other people's thoughts about how you might deal with it differently. It's, it's well, Simon said it. I, If I regret retirement in any way at all, it's that I don't do that course anymore. Because I loved it. It was absolutely I, brilliant.
2: And one add on, I remember getting a bit panicked when all the wheelchair users had been through the course, and then we were moving on to people with autism, people with mental health uh, conditions, chronic uh, health conditions. And I thought, I'm a short bloke. How can I do this? Yet, it still worked because mm. they could see what we were talking about. So sometimes we are very different and the issues that we have are very different. There's no two ways about that. But that coming together and unpicking it, putting it back together, that worked for any condition, impairment, disability, whatever your language is.
1: Yeah, We're in yeah. charge of the structure. The delegates are in charge of the content. Mm. So you make it Ooh. safe. You make it, you know, an environment where people can be open but they then decide what they're going to talk about. And that's that's really what it's about. That's the chemistry of it. So it doesn't matter what your impairment is. It doesn't matter what your condition is. Right. If you feel safe, you can talk about it. And then others can hear you and offer their thoughts. And that's really the essence. Dave Reese, my colleague, who I can't not mention in this context. Dave Reese, who's a non-disabled guy that I ran the courses with. We've always remembered that it was the structure that we created and then let let disabled people or people with chronic conditions, whatever they are, mm. just to to come out and talk. It's very, very moving actually, and, and and very privileged to be part of that. My one
2: sentence: Laura is my co-pilot. Laura is the one I do it with. She's the non-disabled one, and you can't do it
0: without that balance. Mm, that's interesting as well. Yeah, mm. yeah. There's so much we could uh, go into that whole area. There isn't there. Um, just before I forget, uh, on Twitter, it's Mike Clark Al's for anyone I wants to follow, Mike. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's that touching on identity and, and that sort of balance of being proud of part of you being disabled, but then mm. not only being defined by having a disability. And that's quite a hard one to balance because there's no right or wrong. And everyone, I guess it's a spectrum in a way for different people mm. as to how much or like for me, you know, my whole... Career has ended up being very similar to you two, with being in disability. Whereas others, um, you know, that they are they are proud of their disability, but they're not working in that environment as their job. And so, yeah, it's, it's just very interesting that whole area. You've reminded me uh,
2: the the fact that you're always learning. And Joe Stramando is a short bloke. Uh, he's a philosopher and a bioethicist, I think, in the states. There's a woman who was young. She just died. She's a disability rights activist. Joe is saying, be proud, be proud and, of your disability. It's okay. And she said, that's not the way. What we need is community. There's a whole load of people who got these, They haven't got community. Mm-hmm. Now, that made me just go, oh, my goodness. I hadn't thought. I want pride. I want to be proud. But that other bit of community, maybe we need to get that first. And that comes from the courses that you do that you bond and then you find your pride yeah I,
1: there's been one one of the most amazing things about the personal programs we ran was that people stay in touch for years they they maintain the friendships they seek each other out when there are issues that they want to talk about together so i think that sense of community does come from those things and of course going back when i was young we got that from the special schools we we'd all been through that kind of process we all understood what that felt like so that that I mean, thank. Thankfully, most disabled people do not go through that anymore. Um, but it did have a benefit of at least making you feel you understood things that perhaps now has been lost a bit. But
0: yeah, I mean, for me, I primary school, I was I was the only disabled in the village, and you know, the little right. yeah yeah. But then <laughs> secondary, I had to go further away because the local one wasn't accessible. But that meant there were some um, disabled students. But particularly uni, I was in the the two adapted. Whole, that flats of halls of residence and you know yeah. I can remember earlier on being in a nightclub with all the other disabled students and feeling a bit like quite bluntly I was 19 20 am I gonna pull if I'm with a group <laughs> of disabled people <laughs> and and that that was my main you know aim in <laughs> sort of thing but yeah, yeah like I, I went through a lot of emotions on that that balance you know maybe at one point I was too far over there of not feeling comfortable with disabled people, but then the other side is to just be in that flat with the disabled students would have missed the fact that there were lots of diversity on campus, you know, so it's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I like
2: like our little time together because that gives me my support, the shot in the arm, but that isn't my whole life. I want to be out with everybody, yeah.
0: And it kind of comes back to what we're talking about near the beginning of having that in the you know, the business sense and when you're trying to be part of disability rights to have those like-minded people there because um, a lot of my work now I'm more often you know with clients and businesses like very much like your business was so I'm not as in that context as around the community so it's vital for me that I still spend part of my week on disability horizons to keep for, for me as much as giving back and supporting the community. Otherwise, you you could almost lose touch of what's going on in the community as well. So yeah, lots of variables and factors. I'm aware we're getting nearer the end. Um, I don't know if you two have got a dive off at one, but we, we tend to finish about one. I just want to get a bit of a chat about the podcast and other things you're working on at the moment and any any plans. So feel free who wants to go first, it would be great to hear a bit more about the podcast, really.
1: Well, I mean, the podcast, I can't remember how it came about. Um, Simon and I are doing one of our things, and up it popped, I guess. Um, but we've been doing for the last four years. We are in the process of rethinking the podcast and how we want to do it now because it four years on. But um, it gives us an opportunity. I, I, one lovely thing, it gives us a chance to work together. Yeah. I just love being around Simon uh, for the podcast and things. Uh, but it's, it's also an opportunity... it's an it's an opportunity like yours really to meet people discuss things with them see what's going on and so on and so forth and it's a model it's sort of a, a vehicle for getting our views and stuff out there so um long may it continue i think youtube and and video and that kind of thing's beginning to interest us too and how we might Expand our horizons a bit, but yeah, nothing concrete as such. But you'll be hearing a few things from us in the next two or three weeks mm. about the podcast and stuff. Sounds
2: Simon, the, the best feedback we get about our podcast is the sort of relationship banter can be a heavy word, but the sort of the the bounce back that the two yeah. of us have, and so the idea to sort of interview people, but also just to have us to free flow and talk about whatever we want to talk, and that is the joy. You you're in a safe space you can say what you want to say, that's lovely, and I, I enjoy that. Someone said to me, oh, but you're all disabled people. Listen, I reckon 70% are not disabled.
0: Yeah. Uh, we've we,
2: we got a mailing list of people we've worked with over the years, and not all mm. of them are disabled. So I love, I hope that the sort of disabled people love it and get it, but there's a whole bundle of other people that can just listen to it because it's either funny or engaging or interesting or or whatever maybe it's annoying i think one or two people said they want to throw the phone across yeah. the window yeah. when we say something that annoys them and i'm like <laughs> yeah.
0: that's quite good i mean yeah not too much but create debate absolutely yeah. well, where can I, people find it where is the podcast
1: well it's the it's the phil and simon show it's on itunes and it's on he he's laughing because one of the jokes we have is that at the end of the show every time simon says so phil what's our email address and i can never bloody remember it but i'm <laughs> gonna try um but we're on twitter and facebook and the usual channels but we've also got the uh, phil and simon at gmail.com is where you could drop us a line and um, actually the thing we most want is for people to respond to actually take the trouble to just say we like the show or we mm. didn't or something so we'd love to hear from people and we do try and name check our listeners whenever we can
2: if you are watching this in july we will have moved it will be called minty and friend there's a different thing going on but it will all redirect you so you've caught us just at a little um, search for simon minty or phil friend and it will come up third or fourth i hope yeah
0: cool that sounds good have you got there's one other thing i want to ask have you got a couple more minutes have you got to be yeah 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 I, i mean obviously we've touched on podcasting and sort of social media you mentioned you're on Twitter and everything what something that's fascinated me as you know like you know I've been massively into blogging and social media and building community and the thing I've been trying to get my head around more and more through these interviews on the Daily Sib is does and how can social media still lead to change because I just wonder that sometimes content is great and having that community is great but it's how does that connect with businesses with government with the big charities just be great to get your thoughts on the good the bad the ugly of social media in terms of disability rights
1: well from my point of view something you said is and and Simon and I know this uh, is content is everything
0: Mm.
1: what you say even if I disagree with what you say if you're saying it with passion and you're saying it based on some you know, you've actually given it some thought. Then I listen. I think what social media is really interesting for is that it's allowing us to listen to all these conversations, to form our views about them, and then decide which particular line we want to follow. In my day, it was tele or radio, and that was about it. There was nothing else. Now you get bombarded and that's the problem really it's sorting out which messages do I really want to pay attention to Mm. and the people who shout loudest aren't necessarily the ones you want to listen to so content be critical but be analytical if that's the right word of what you're watching and listening I don't watch everything I mean I watch you and I listen to you and I the reason I do that Martin let me share with you and is, is because I want to know what your generation is thinking about what are the challenges that your generation faces that are different from mine? So, um, so in that sense, you're, you're hitting the spot because I'm watching you. I'm listening to what you're saying. I may not be reacting to it, but it is feeding information in. So just keep doing it. I think people yeah. will form their own views.
0: So almost like it doesn't have to result in the landmark 95 no. disability yeah. discrimination act that it, yeah. it's just by doing it is valuable.
2: Yeah, it's a tough call because it is what is the thing that everyone gathers around now in disability rights to push it forward. Bearing mm-hmm. in mind ours was very narrow. We had a, a narrow brief. Now it's yeah. so broad. How do you bring everybody That's on so board? Hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't I get muddled with social media. I enjoy it. Um, there's some great things. My tip is to follow 10 or 15 people that you actually fundamentally disagree with. I'm scared that we are going into echo chambers where we yeah. all just love each other, where yeah. we're not, if anyone dissents, then we block them and we never hear again. I'm not saying Holocaust deniers, I'm not, not, I'm not like stupid like that, but just people who kind of go, oh, they, they annoy me when they say that. And we'll yeah. follow them, find out a bit more about them because you need to be sophisticated enough to win through an argument. And if you're not hearing, all you're hearing is people go, yeah, well, I love you, you're so brave, you're so strong you're not going to win the argument when it comes to the real I've uh, we talked with Jane Campbell since Covid the government would come and make an announcement uh, on the daily briefing social media would go ballistic that night I'd go you've forgotten this you missed out that the next day's briefing we're going to put in this we're going to change that so it was very immediate I've never seen it that strong um I like that that may well stay there social media can be immensely powerful But as we've also said, I I still think going into rooms and sitting with people is going to be important. And also sometimes what we might say on social media may be different to what I go back to the very bit. bit I love talking with Phil about is I can say what I really think. Mm. And you can explore those weird things to then come back to something that could be really useful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's, It's basically... There's always going to be that space for in the room and maybe protest and like it's not only digital, but it does give a lot easier way to connect and to sort of formulate arguments as well.
1: Yeah, I suppose the thing we have to watch is, you know, as everybody, Simon and I were talking about this the other day, there are two and a half million people who are shielded in this country Yeah. and they're not going anywhere. And, yeah. and they're not going to be going anywhere for some time. So when we're all back in the pubs and the clubs and we're doing our gym and all that kind of stuff, they're still sitting at home. We do not need – we really cannot forget them. And I think what social media gives us is an opportunity for people to say stuff that have been excluded. What worries me is who's talking to the people that can't get on the social media thing? Where, where's their voice? Because I think they, they've – you know, are they still writing newsletters or are they still sending th- – through gpo or good old royal Mail. i mean i don't know but we we the movement is not just about those of us who are making a noise it's about yeah. a lot of people that are not making a noise who can't make a noise for all sorts of reasons we need to find ways of getting in touch with that if we can
0: yeah i saw that like doing the um, live streaming of funerals because obviously covid19 it's a blanket benefit but there are um you know, particularly older people that haven't got ipads or don't know how to get on
1: the laptop well, it's but also, it's also not old, just older people martin it's poor people yeah no they, true they, they can't afford it you know they yeah. can't pay for broadband or whatever yeah. it is so
0: absolutely yeah that's no, interesting
2: has anyone said congratulations you're getting married Are you get married too. Yeah. have you had to bump the date what's
0: so well we've been engaged years and we were meant to get married two fridays ago in poland and we had to yeah. reschedule it because of all the goings-on. So I'm still not officially married, but we had a good sort of online virtual party with I everyone that, yeah, that yeah, could have been yeah. there. So, you know, obviously next year, fingers crossed, it will all go through properly. But we, we didn't sit around dwelling on the day. We, we still got everyone together and had a good time. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. Ro- Ross has just joined, saying, Hi, Ross. hi, Yeah,
1: man. Cool. He supports a very strange football team, doesn't he, Ross Hovey? He's got a problem yeah. with football. I don't know how he's been managing well, his beloved Liverpool. Haven't been playing.
0: <laughs> it's a bit, yeah, a bit dodgy if they're going to win that title or not, isn't it? Yeah,
1: that,
0: that, Chelsea <laughs> forever.
1: Just say <laughs> it's Chelsea. It's, it's, oh it's my Chelsea
0: <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well, um, yeah, I think we'll 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 wrap up. And is there anything else you wanted to mention while we're still there?
2: Thank well for my part, thank you. Uh, we yeah. were doing a podcast once a week and got quite tired. The fact that you're knocking these out every day, well <laughs> done you! Uh, I hope you enjoy them and get energy as well as we know how much work it is and how much all the background stuff is. So good on you! I hope you're not too exhausted and you're getting good feedback and stuff.
0: Thank you. No, I mean it, yeah. it has been energising and it's um, seeing. I keep talking about seeing the bigger picture and you've referred to it with your podcast that you you start to see how things do join or could join and you almost a bit like a a football manager you start to see how to try and join the dots and that's really exciting to get that overall view of it all my um, book's up for the next month it's crazy how many amazing people are out there and they want to get involved and come and talk so you know it's it's been a lot of fun I don't know if I do get tired i'm going to be able to stop now but i'll i'll worry about that if i get tired
1: anyway (laughs) just just add to simon's thoughts yeah good on you i think this is a it's a useful vehicle for people to tune in and once a day and see what's going on out there particularly at the moment where so many of us can't go anywhere else so yeah well done you martin it's not easy this simon says
0: and, of course, we'll get, it wouldn't have been possible. You know, it's because of COVID-19 I'm able to do it because I would have been, you know, travelling, sat on a yeah, train yeah, to give a one-hour talk in Newcastle or whatever it would have been. So it's it's given me the time and space to be able to do it, which is a silver lining.
2: We'll get you on our show. Give us a couple of weeks yeah, to settle down and we'll get you yeah. back. Thank you. i will
0: be good. I'm looking forward to seeing the new format as well. Cool. All right, then, guys, have a lovely day. Thanks, everyone, for watching either live or on the replay and for the comments and questions there's a lively bunch today you'll have to uh bung those tenors out to everyone else <laughs> <It's> expensive <laughs> that was
2: last night on yeah. social media we were so busy i tell you <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right nice one and yeah, thanks for coming on you too. it was a real pleasure as always to catch up and hear what's going on and shoot the breeze mm, thank you martin
2: cool. best of everything to you Cheers.
0: all right take care bye-bye. Bye
2: bye-bye